everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. This is your host, April Hanna, and I'm really excited about the guests that I have invited on the show today. One of my very good friends, Mary Peichel, and Mary and I met each other, my gosh, I don't know, it might even be like six years ago, five years ago, Mary. How long has it been? Yeah, probably five or six years ago. Five or six years ago. So Mary and I share uh, the same teacher, Jeanette Defoe. And I know you listeners have heard me talk about Jeanette so many times on the podcast, but she was in The Path Afterlife and also The Path Evolution. So Mary and I were both going to Jeanette individually for healing and consultation. She's just a great supervisor and has been a great teacher to both of us. And then Jeanette ended up holding a... Uh, retreat at full, is it full moon resort in Phoenicia? Yeah. Full moon retreat, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was a fire ritual and Mary and I met each other. And I remember when I saw you, Mary, I was like, I know her, where do I know her Mm -hmm. from? We totally didn't meet before, but I think it was just kind of that soul connection and same um, experience. Yeah. So Mary and I hit it off. Both of us were mental health professionals. We're both therapists. So when we got to this retreat, we automatically clicked and connected and just had that in common. Um, And then the friendship has been like everlasting ever since. I refer to her as one of my soul sisters. And uh, Mary's also a great teacher of mine. And that's a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. But to let you know a little bit more about Mary, she is a licensed Uh, social worker. She has over a decade of experience working in the human service field. She attended SUNY New Paltz, where she graduated with a degree in sociology and human services and later earned her master's degree in social work at SUNY Albany. And now she is actually moved into her own private practice. The other thing that Mary and I are going to talk about today is a book that we came across called Miracles at Work by Emily Bennington. We actually went down to New York City. Mary and I like to take trips down to New York City, and she's always finding great conferences. And Marianne Williamson was also there. So we wanted to go and check out this author and see what she had to say about incorporating the Course in Miracles into your work and um, kind of recognizing spirituality in the workplace. And with Mary and I both doing uh, mental health therapy and counseling, that has been kind of one of our, I would say our goals and sometimes some of our struggles is how do we bring our spirituality and talk about this stuff when we're doing clinical work. So I'm hoping Mary and I are going to have more of a conversation about that. So welcome, Mary. Thank you. Hi, April. Hi. So can you just tell our listeners a little bit more about your background, how you came to be a social worker, and then this beautiful private practice that you have developed and are now into fully uh, right now? Well, I've always wanted to help people. And I've always been interested in spirituality. And it took a little while to figure that out, how to bring um, a sense of spirituality to my work. But Finding A Course in Miracles has really helped me to gain some kind of structure around that. And using the tools, I, along with mindfulness tools like Buddhism and Hinduism and just like some, some other philosophies, I've been able to really make a difference in how I approach my practice with my clients and in my own life, too. I've had so much more growth after meeting Jeanette and coming to these deeper spiritual principles in my own healing than I have with just mainstream psychotherapy. Yeah. And I know I turn to you a lot whenever I'm struggling with something and I'll usually text Mary or call her. I'll be like, what does the course of miracles say about this? Help me, help me, you know, 
you know, just figure this out. And I know Mary, you and I, we also work a lot with uh, Abraham Hicks and listening to a lot of their YouTubes. And I know, I think we both got introduced to that around the same exact time, which was really cool. Yeah, I think, I think I had known, but in our relationship together, I've explored that so much deeper and they've been great teachers. So thank you for bringing that more to me. Absolutely. So um, New York City, our trip a couple weeks yeah. ago was fun. Um, it was held at, what was it, ABC Home? Yeah, it was like a department store that has this great uh, little space. It's beautiful. These little things, these little nuggets that you're always like taking me to that are so awesome. Um, but yeah, there was like this beautiful room and all of these wonderful like sayings and it was like so spiritual and all these different like Buddha statues. It was a wonderful place. Maybe you and I will hold something there one day. That would be cool. Right. Um, yeah. But so Emily Bennington, the author of Miracles at Work, was presenting her book and it was cool that we got a chance to hear Marianne Williamson talk for about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so I know that we were talking offline a little bit and there were certain chapters that we wanted to talk about, um, on our podcast here, but what would you say overall was kind of the biggest take home for you with this book and how did it resonate with you? Well, I think, you know, and she kind of starts off the book like this, but this is also um, from A Course in Miracles. And this is a quote, a loose quote. We think we have many problems, but we only have one, our separation from God. So I think that we can externalize our problems through projection. And I know we're going to get into that with um, the three blocks to knowing your higher self. But the separation that we feel, right? We come down and I become this human named Mary and you're this human named April and we have these egos and the egos ground us in this separation, but the egos also try and define and solve our problems. And if we get too caught up in in that ego aspect, we suffer. We look to the ego to solve our problems and the ego is not a problem solver. The ego will look for for the solution to the problem problem, but its main goal is to not let us ever find it. I think there's a quote, the ego searches for love, but it's designed never to find it. Mm. Um, so in all of these things that we experience external to us, you know, we're always looking for the external solution. Maybe if this coworker doesn't behave like this anymore, or if I get this other job or I make this money or, you know, whatever we can, um, surmise with this in our career, we really have to to come back to the idea that the only problem is, is that we're not seeing ourselves and other people in our reality. We're more focused on the separation. And I think that that seems to be the, the basis of, um, her perspective for this book. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting right in the introduction where, um, she was talking about, there was some, um, it was called the Pew Research Survey on Religious Trends, and it found that roughly 84% of the global population identifies with a particular tradition of faith. Yet she was going in to say, but we're not really bringing any type of spirituality into the workplace or really talking about it. It's kind of kept right. separate. Yeah, I think there's a big stigma, right, around religion and separation and, you know, even in our country in general. One of the things she says in the book is that, you know, if you want to be spiritual in your work and you want to you want to show up spiritually, you don't even necessarily have to talk about it. You just have to show up in action. Right. Yeah. And I remember her when when we were there at the um, 
at her little, her book reveal that she was talking about wanting to be more authentic and bringing her love for the course of miracles and how much it has helped her out into the work that she's doing. And she thought that she was going to get a lot of backlash from that, but actually what happened, like things just took off after that. Right. And I think that's a lot about, um, you know, in some of the stuff in the course of miracles, it's about finding that authenticity of self, just being really reconnecting to who you truly are. Yes. And one of the things I think that she brings up, and of course they talk about this in the course in miracles too, is that you can't really see it in yourself or hold it in yourself until you're willing to extend that viewpoint to other people. And that's mm-hmm. also um, a Buddhist practice that's called generosity. It's one of the main um, practices in cultivating uh, compassion, loving kindness. And generosity is basically namaste, you know, being willing to see the highest in yourself, in whatever you're experiencing, the opportunity or the assignment underneath it, and other people as well. And generosity is a practice that we give to ourselves, but we also have to give it out to other people. Yeah. And I'm trying to find where it was in her book, but she was giving a couple of examples of somebody really struggling and, you know, working with a coworker and how she says, you know, once you begin to apply some of the principles of A Course in Miracles, that your relationships at work can become so much easier. Uh, The way that problems are being thrown at you or trying to find certain solutions and not feeling so overwhelmed or stressed if you're applying some of the course principles. Right. She talks about there's 50 um, miracle principles right in the beginning of A Course in Miracles. And it's they're sort of like the guidelines, the things, the intentions that you should have if you're going to really live from a miracle-minded perspective. And she talks about each day should be, well, there's one particular principle that she gives us a reference. Each day should be devoted to miracles. So that's a that's a principle in the book. And she gives us the idea or the practice that we can use these 50 principles or, you know, whichever one we might feel called to use in a day and replace the word miracle with thoughts of love. So I've been using this since I read this. Each day should be devoted to thoughts of love. And we can use this when we're triggered by other people, when we're triggered by our own expectations of ourselves or of our career. Um, And this would be part of that practice. So you find things that help you to practice this generosity or even me, like the idea of namaste, I'll just practice it like in the grocery store. As I go down the aisles, I'll just quietly namaste to you know, the person walking by me. So we can practice this in times where we're not so triggered so that when the triggering times come, we're a little bit more grounded and we have the ability to extend this generosity. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I like the way that, um, she said to replace that saying, with miracle. Cause sometimes when people hear the word miracle, they may right. go to the extreme of something that has to be so big and so profound. Right. A miracle is a shift in perception from fear to love. That's all a miracle is. So when mm-hmm. they talk about miracles, you know, I think at this talk, Marianne said, you know, you're the faucet. We're the conduit for, for source, right? So source would be the water. We just have to, we have to be, we have to be the faucet. We have to be in our authenticity. And by using our mind, right? It's really our mind that chooses the lane. So our mind can choose ego and suffering and all of that stuff. Or our mind can step over into a perception of love. And we just need a willingness. We don't even necessarily have to feel it. 
you know, an intention, uh, a prayer, meditation, an act of kindness, that's an intention. It's a willingness. And when you put that out there, things start to change for you. We don't change ourselves, right? We don't, we don't change the habit. We just take small little actions that over time culminate a shift, right? From fear-based thinking into more loved-based thinking. And then that, that changes our experience. And I think that's what she's really talking about at work, that all of these external experiences with other people and, you know, with where we are trying to go really needs to start with us rather than these external things that are happening or what's happening to us or our perceptions, really. I'd like the quote on page 42. Uh, at the bottom of the page, she says, wherever there is fear, it's because you have not made up your mind. Yeah. Your mind is therefore split and your behavior inevitably becomes erratic. I like that one. That also reminds me of Abraham. I remember one time they were talking about bipolar and their definition of bipolar disorder kind of reminds me of this, where there's this kind of um, ability to access this great power, but this inability or misunderstanding of how to harness it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know that we wanted to talk a little bit about which was the chapter? Oh, I, I know that you were saying offline that you wanted to talk a little bit more about what spiritual intelligence is. Can you explain that? Because this was the first time that I've actually read it. So, and I know you have a better handle on it, but what, what is she talking about exactly when she's referring to this spiritual intelligence? Cause I've heard the phrase emotional intelligence and mm -hmm. things of like that, but the spiritual intelligence, that was a new concept for me. Spiritual intelligence is, you know, it's kind of what we've been talking about. It's recognizing that our only problem really is our separation from love or from God or the universe or, you know, your true self, whatever language you want to use. Course in Miracles calls it God or Holy Spirit, but, you know, you don't need to call it that. It's in whatever way you connect. And it's understanding that, you know, this is a quote from the book, there is no you, just God. You are in the mind of God. And your salvation, yourself does not need salvation, but your mind needs to learn what salvation is. That's a quote from A Course in Miracles. And the seed of salvation is this, and this is another quote, you are doing this to yourself. Um, and I think that that, if we can come to that understanding, right, that all the problems lie really within our perception and our viewpoint of how we're experiencing things and that we truly are not separate and that our essence is this love. And if we can extend that out to other people, we're going to be working so much differently in our lives. We're going to be interacting so much differently. And I think that that is one of the main principles of really cultivating spiritual intelligence. And the Buddhists would call this cultivating the art of loving kindness, which would be compassion. And compassion is leading or living with compassion is living with spiritual intelligence. Right. And, and that's um, what I got a lot out of this book, too, especially when she was trying to work through a certain issue with one of her coworkers or friends or somebody that she was coaching that was really struggling with somebody that she could not stand at work. And she mm -hmm. kept coaching that woman to basically say, like, can you see yourself in him? Right. And can you see the connectedness and made her like answer these three questions over and over and over until finally she was able to soften and be able to see him as, as herself and, right. and see that connection. Yeah. I think she asked her or suggested that she pray for peace for him. 
Right. Which is, that's something that I use a lot, you know, sometimes more easily than others. And it's also, that is a practice I give to almost all of my clients. And there's so much resistance to that practice. But I think there's so much resistance because oftentimes it's what we really need to heal. And when we find the thing that we need to heal, all that resistance comes up. But, you know, our mind will take over and make it seem like it's something that we shouldn't be doing. And And I think she talks about this. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. She talks about forgiveness in the book, too. um, And that's a quote of spiritual intelligence. And forgiveness is really it's not necessarily saying that what the person has done is okay, or, you know, you're just going to forget about it. Forgiveness is the choice. So again, this is, you know, a practice in miracles, shifting perception. It's a choice to detach yourself from your perceptions and your thinking about the person and or situation that's causing you suffering. So, you know, there's a different way to look at forgiveness than we might with our Western minds initially want to um, receive it. It's really yeah. just a and allowing yourself to let go of the stories and the attachments that are, you know, bringing you into a place where you're not feeling good and you're suffering and whatever, you know, whatever might come of that for you. And do you want to talk a little bit about maybe giving an example of how you use this with your clients and having them either pray for the, for the person that they're really upset with or angry with and, and talk a little bit more about that resistance that you've gotten from clients when you might offer this as a suggestion? Yeah. I mean, the minute with, with a lot of people and in myself included, right, it's it's a concept that takes some time to digest. And with anything, you know, this is changing a habit. We're habituated culturally and through our own reinforcements of how we respond to things to, you know, want to respond in a certain way. And not only that, our brains and our bodies, whatever we're doing the most, our brains and our bodies support that. That's why we get a feeling, right? So if we are judging somebody, you know, we might get a little rush of like adrenaline or, and the minute we say, maybe we should see, you know, send this person some peace, you know, there's resistance, but we feel it physically in our body. Our bodies get in alignment with where our minds are. And a lot of times it's just working past that body's conditioning to recondition, you know, what neural pathways um, are responding to what is up for us. I hope that makes sense. Um, That's like, that could be like a whole other thing that we could get off on. But, you know, I go there with clients. You know, we talk about our conditioning and why it's so hard to change how we see things. And it's very much a practice or a demonstration in willingness and faith in the beginning. But, you know, it doesn't take that much. It feels like a lot. But if we just keep a little consistency and we just keep the willingness and we just do those practices anyway, whether we really, uh, feel in alignment with them or not, eventually we come into alignment with them. It just happens. Again, we're the faucet, right? Miracles happen to us, through us. If we want a miracle, if we want that healing, if we want to let go of that anger, if we want to let go of that addiction, whatever it might be, we have to start seeing things differently. And I think this is in Gabby Bernstein's new book, The Universe Has Your Back, just to go off on a tangent. I really love how she put this. She talks about um, how to receive the miracle, and we have to be looking at things from a loving perspective because love is the conduit for miracles. And if we want the change to come, we have to create the the space or the energy, and we do that through a loving perspective. 
Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, when you present that concept to people that you're working with, it almost knocks them over, you know, because they're kind of like in a story, right. And they're on a one, one track mind and they're just want to vent their anger and vent their frustration and how they have been done wrong. And then you have somebody say, well, pray for them. (laughs) It's almost (laughs) like can knock you over like, what? No, I don't want to pray for them. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Well, some of the stuff is, you know, some people come from like horrible trauma. Right. So I think part of it is I don't necessarily introduce that right away. You know, and this is where the traditional psychotherapy comes in, where we build trust and, you know, we we offer compassion and empathy and that, you know, offering compassion and empathy to our clients, what we give to them, it helps them to be able to offer that to themselves. So I think we get to a place just sort of naturally where it's time to introduce that. Yeah, I would agree. The first person, um, now I was, I obviously was not studying A Course in Miracles in my 20s by any means, but uh, I think I might have been like 23, 24. And I had a certain job at the time. And that's when I met my first husband. And there was a woman that also found my husband very attractive and like was very flirtatious with him and really um, enjoyed him was kind of making my life a living hell because the three of us worked together and it just made things like really awkward. And I remember venting to my friend Christy at the time we shared an office together. And I was like, Oh, I just cannot stand this, this woman. Why won't she stop? And she was just bringing like so much stress to my life. And Christy turned to me and she said, April, let's pray for her. And Christy was a very religious person. And I, I literally stopped in my tracks and I was like, what? She's like, yes, we need to pray for her. And Christy came over (laughs) and she put her hands like on my head, on my shoulders. And she started praying over me to kind of like, see if I could release some of this resistance and this anger that I was feeling. And then she started praying for this girl. And I'll tell you, my heart softened and Mm -hmm. it's something that I've used since then. And then kind of coming now into learning more about A Course in Miracles and hearing that, I'm like, wow, you know, I never, I mean, the impact was so strong. And I remember I was so angry at first when Christy was like, pray for her. I'm like, I am not praying for her. Like, do you understand all of this turmoil that she's causing, you know, in our job and, you know, with our relationship and this and that. And I just wanted the girl to go away. which eventually she did. So maybe my prayers worked. I don't know. (laughs) But, um, but it definitely softened my heart and really made me think about, you know, sometimes when people aren't treating us very kindly and they're coming at us that really what they do need the most is love. Right. So I think that it's an important practice. I had a therapist say that to me once dealing with a really difficult person in my life that, you know, she suggested to me that she needs the most love. And yeah, I was really resistant to that, but, you know, I think it's true, you know, until we see it in others, we can't really see it in ourselves. You know, part of the spiritual intelligence is that what we're giving out, and this is a a tenant of Buddhism too, what we are giving out, we're actually teaching, but we're also learning, we're reinforcing in us. And that is part of, um, and that's a practice that I actually use with clients when we begin to introduce this idea of forgiveness or praying for peace. There's a Buddhist meditation called Tonglen meditation. And in our Western culture, we're so um, conditioned to, you know, when we're meditating, breathe in the peace and breathe out the darkness, right? So this is a bit opposite. The Buddhists believe, you know, through all suffering is joy. So if suffering is present, it's, it's a great opportunity. 
uh, Chogyam Trungpa, he's a great uh, Buddhist Zen master teacher, he says, you know, you don't go out looking for people to abuse you or shitty situations, but if you happen to find them, use them. Use them to deepen your love. Use them to root more in your truth. So I use this practice a lot with um, clients. And what we do is we take in the suffering in the relationship or of the other person and we breathe it in and we just feel it, just experience it. And then on the exhalation, each exhalation can be different. You just attach an intention to it, peace or understanding or whatever it might be. And you don't have to feel this, right? You just have to intend for it. And what that does is it shows you on a certain level that everything that you need is within you. All Anything that it takes to heal something, all, all that it takes to bring you joy, it's within you. And when you allow yourself to be vulnerable and take that in, and then you call forth from within, whether you believe it or not, you don't have to believe this. You know, you call forth from within you that loving, compassion, kindness, and you send it out, right? Something starts to really shift for us. And we can really get to levels of forgiveness and insight that, you know, maybe we were struggling with before. And this isn't something that we do, right? This is an act. This is a willingness. It's a demonstration. And it just sort of happens to us. So we do these little demonstrations. We have these little, um, she talks about this in the book. They're called holy instances, right? We go, the course talks about them as a tiny mad idea. We get this tiny mad idea, maybe about this coworker that they're doing this thing or whatever. And then we create this whole story out of it. But in that story, we always have the opportunity for something called the holy instant. And that's when we gain insight and say, what's going on here? right? This is suffering. And at that point, with that insight, right? Insight doesn't necessarily heal us, but we need it in order to heal. This is what spirituality calls our free will. It's the choice we then make, right? We can choose peace. We can choose the loving perception of a miracle, or we can choose to stay in the story. But whatever we're choosing, whatever lane we're in, right? That's going to be our experience. Yeah. And one of the mantras, um, I think that you taught me too, that comes from a course in miracles is that I choose to see love instead of this, you know, anytime fear comes up or, you know, a negative feeling is that, like you said, we always have the choice to choose love. Right. And this is why I love talking to you sometimes, because when you just mentioned that, um, how do you pronounce it again? The Tonglin meditation? Tonglin. Tonglin. So I have never heard of this, but just the other day I picked up a book that I bought. It was called If the Buddha Married, Creating Enduring Relationships on a Spiritual Path. And I was just Mm. skimming through it, looking for some ideas for some couples that I'm working with. And that's what they talked about. They talked about that meditation technique. So it's funny that you just brought it up because I just read about it uh, about a week ago. And I love that idea again, of just being with whatever the emotion is holding it. And then as you're exhaling out and breathing out that you're either, you know, sending a wish, you're sending a prayer to it. Um, like you said, kind of just the opposite of like breathing in love or light and then exhaling out the bad stuff, but actually exhaling out and wishing good or love to the situation. They were using it in this book as a self soothing technique. Whenever you're arguing with your partner, because I said, if you're in an argument with your, with your partner, 
people don't really know how to self-soothe in the instant or in the moment. Whereas people might say, well, you know, what I do to relax is, well, I'll go to the gym or I'll take a bath or, you know, I'll light a candle and I'll do a meditation. But if you just get into an argument with your partner and your adrenaline's high and you're feeling upset, what can you do in that moment to self-soothe? And the book talked about this breathing technique to just breathe that emotion in, to sit with it, and then send love, send peace, send a blessing, send a wish to the situation that's causing you trouble. So that's so cool that you just brought that up. Yeah, synchronicity. So I have um, another question for you uh, before we kind of bring this podcast to an end and also wanted to let you guys know, our listeners, that I probably plan on bringing Mary back on quite a few times. I think that we just have really fun conversations. We have a lot to talk about. I was thinking about calling it conversations with Mary, um, and having Mary just explain a little bit more, um, cause we're, we don't have a whole lot of time today, but to explain a little bit more of what she does in her practice and how she incorporates Buddhism and things of that sort. But one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is, do you use the word God in your practice with your clients? Like as you've come to become more of a student in A Course in Miracles and, you know, they use that word quite a bit, I guess one question is, you know, how, how does that sit with you? How does it sit with your clients? And are you becoming more comfortable with using that term in, in your sessions? Hmm. Yeah. Good question. I do use the word God. I have used it from, from the beginning. So the minute that I really started bringing spirituality into my practice, I use the word God, but I also use other words. I use the universe. I use divine consciousness, whatever it might be. And I always, you know, explain to my clients that it really doesn't matter how we connect. You can even use the word peace, right? Um, I heard somebody say once, even an atheist can receive a miracle. So it's just really about connecting to that that power within you in whatever way you connect to it, be it nature or whatever it is. And I've had, yes, many conversations with people that, you know, are kind of bothered by the word God and just how to not throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to um, maybe some spiritual things that are helping you. Um, So yeah, I do use it. I use it all the time. I feel really connected to it. I grew up Catholic. I went to Catholic school. There's a lot of dogmas I remember my mom telling me when I was younger that as long as I felt bad for what I did, I would be forgiven. And I really had to work through that Catholic guilt. It is for real Catholic guilt. Um, (laughs) But I never, you know, despite all of that, I never had uh, such a resistance to that word. Yeah, I see the dogma possibly in that stuff. But, you know, we can connect in many, many, many ways. I had a couple of atheists in some of my meditation groups, and we had some great conversations around it. Um, You know, sometimes it's just another way for the ego to try and get us to drop this whole coming to know who we are thing and stay locked in engagement with it instead. Yeah, great. Well, thank you. And I wanted you to talk more about that just in case if there are other listeners out there who might also be mental health professionals and have a spiritual practice of their own and they're, you know, a little afraid or they aren't quite sure how to integrate this into their work that sometimes hearing our stories are pretty helpful for people. Yeah. You know, God is love basically. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. And in most of, you know, the traditions, if you kind of read into it and you look deeper, you know, they all kind of have the same, the same, uh, definition. 
Yeah, absolutely. So is there, before we end this podcast, is there anything else that you wanted to say about the book, uh, Miracles at Work, or something that you wanted to share with the audience that you thought would be a good takeaway for them to hear? Um, I think that, you know, generally the book just shows us how to uh, create a stronger internal locus of control. You know, and in psychotherapy, internal locus of control is our ability to self-regulate despite what's going on in the world around us, right? If if we're too caught up in this person or this job or this whatever it is that might be coming at us at work, we're not going to have, we're not going to have much power, you know? Somebody can say something and ruin our whole day or we cannot get a promotion and then fall into like a deep depression. So this is really about learning that we have the power, that the peace is within us through our presence with ourself. And self-actualization is really an internal thing. I can't remember who the father of psychology was that talked about self-actualization, but he said, you know, we never, ever really experience it because once we hit the thing that we thought would make us or make everything else okay from that point, we just find something else. We're creative beings, you know, we're just going to keep going on. So it's a much better practice to learn, you know, self-actualization from an internal perspective and create, you know, create that um, spiritual intelligence within us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Mary, for uh, agreeing to come on the podcast and to talk with me. And I do hope to have you back and hopefully, you know, maybe every time we go down to New York city, we'll just pop on the podcast and let people know of our New York city adventures and who we're going to listen to and what books we're getting and how we were inspired by it. Um, and I also wanted to let you guys know that Mary, uh, does have a practice. It's in Bloomingburg, New York, and her website is Mary Jane Peichel, M-A-R-Y-J-A-N-E, P-I-K-U-L.com. So if you are in the New York area and you live close to Mary, uh, definitely hit her up. She's doing great work, not just, um, you know, social work, but she also offers Reiki and energy healing. She's also big into Young Living Essential Oils. Um, So, and she's, and you're also starting to run groups there now too, right? Yes. I've been doing groups for a while, but, um, I sort of scaled it back and I'm doing groups in Blooming Road now, which I love doing. Yeah. And what, what are you running just to let people know in case they are interested in coming um, and checking you out? I run them just like I run my practice. So a session with me incorporates traditional psychotherapy, mindfulness from all backgrounds, Course in Miracles, Buddhism, yogic, um, energy healing, essential oils. So the group comprises all of that. Uh, right now, this summer group, we're working on um, principles, like the, the grounding principles, um, of coming to know our higher self. So the whole summer is based, um, around some course in miracles, uh, the four agreements, which I think is great. Maybe you and I would also talk about the four agreements book, because that's been pretty influential for both of us as well. That's uh, so. such a great book. It's yeah. So easy. I know. Maybe we'll make another podcast out of that. But thank you so much, Mary. Love to have you here. Yeah. It's great talking to you and I'm sure we'll yeah. see each other soon. Bye. Okay. Well, thanks everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Mary and we'll talk to you soon. If you'd like more information about our films or to purchase our DVDs, you can head on over to our website at thepastseries.com. They're also available to purchase on amazon.com. Our films are also streaming online at vimeo.com, guyamtv.com, and iTunes. 
If you have a show suggestion or would like us to interview someone specifically, please feel free to shoot us an email at info at thepastseries.com or send us a tweet at the past series. Please rate and review us in iTunes and subscribe. We hope you enjoyed the show. 